When all was said and done, the ark that Noah built was a remarkable 563 feet long, 94 feet wide, and 56 feet high. By any standards, a feat of unprecedented proportions. By God's standards, it was exactly what was needed to prepare for what was to come. How often in our lives do we feel overwhelmed, as though we can barely keep our heads above water as the floodwaters rise around us? How often do you feel that the entire world is suffering from the same helpless fate? Surely there must be times when it feels as though we are building our own ark after the rains have already begun. With all the pain in the world today, it might be easy to seek answers wherever we can find them, no matter how cheap and temporary they may be. And when all that comes crashing down, there will always be one true deliverer, our rock and our salvation, to lead us out of the waters and onto dry land. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. So I have a 10-month-old, and after he was born, I experienced uh, postpartum depression. And that was the first time in my life that I um, needed help or sought for help to a mental health issue that was going on. And I wasn't expecting it, which I think um, added to the anxiety of the situation. I wanted to be a good mom. I had all these expectations on myself, and I thought I was as prepared as a new mom could be, um, but I needed to humble myself, and I recognized that Heavenly Father was trying to teach me something that I I needed to learn, either if it was um, patience with myself or finding empathy towards others who've experienced similar things. Our discussion topics today come from our studies in Genesis chapters 6 through 11, and Moses chapter eight. The first topic will be safety from spiritual floods. And the second topic, which comes from our Come Follow Me resource, is the only way to reach heaven is through Jesus Christ. To help us with our discussion today, we wanna first introduce our scholar, Patrick Mason, who is an associate professor in history and religious studies at Utah State University. Welcome, Patrick. Great to be back. And our special guests are Tim and Michelle Welch. Uh, Tim and Michelle recently returned uh, after serving as mission presidents, correct? We did. Oh, and tell us what the did Ohio you Ohio Cincinnati mission. Ohio Cincinnati. And uh, previously you were also a stake president, is that correct? That's correct. So tell us a little bit about your, uh, your professional lives, if you would. Sure. So I was a full-time mother and homemaker for many years. Uh, I did an undergraduate degree in humanities and then went on to Utah State to complete a master's in American studies. And professionally, I taught nine years at Utah Valley University, and I really enjoyed that. Taught English and American studies. Thank you. Tim. I should probably say, Ben, that I'm retired, which I finally found something I was reasonably good at. (laughs) But for 40 years of my professional life, I I was a partner in a global fire protection technology business. So we spent much of my life Unlike today, our topic is about saving people from the spiritual effects of floods. I spent my life protecting people from the physical <laughs> influence of fire. So we're happy to be here. And we're excited to get to know you and, and, and your, uh, your take on these topics today. So thanks for being Thank here. Thank you. Well, let's first start with Patrick. Uh, will you give us a little bit of background on the representation of the ark? 
Yeah, so, so God told Noah that, that he was going to send a flood uh, upon the earth. And in a lot of ways, this is God sort of hitting the reset button mm. uh, and, and starting over. And we see a lot of images here of kind of new creation after the flood. Uh, but, but God said, you know, preach to people and, and build this boat. So he gave Noah specific guidance of, of how he and others could find safety, mm. uh, very real safety uh, from this flood. And Noah goes out and preaches. And unfortunately, nobody listens other than his family. So what was, what was the flood? What was going on with the people that were surrounding Noah? Like if you, if you were to make an analogy of the waters being the behavior of the people, what were they doing? Well, creation was designed for love, right? Okay. Uh, the, the, the purpose of creation is love. The purpose of creation is for us to multiply and replenish and, and sort of build this human family. That, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And they had completely corrupted the whole design of creation. So these waters were going to come and, and, and destroy, but also cleanse. Okay. And, and so, you know, and we can also think about it symbolically in terms of, of representation of baptism and, and, and things like that. But, but, but this is God wanting to, to cleanse the world of its wickedness and start again. My first impression in reading these chapters was that, boy, do we need a prophet um, there's always spiritual floods, there's always trouble, but every dispensation has a prophet of God that we can rely on and turn to to save us. And Noah did that for his family, and I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Tim. You know, I think this discussion about floods, it's, it's this uh, sort of apocalyptic feeling, and I think we can become a little bit unsettled in our lives when we think about it in that context. My experience would suggest that really the story is about us turning to God, and it's easier than we think. We're reminded in 1 Nephi chapter 17, verse 41, all they had to do was lift their eyes to the top of the pole. And he says, because of the easiness of the way or the simpleness of it, there were many who perished. And I think that's what happens when we have these floods around us. We perish, but sometimes it's just raising our eyes 15 degrees. God will help us. He'll speak peace to us. He'll bless us. He'll protect us. In this case, it was just get on the boat. Just get on the boat. I love that. And, and it kind of reminds me of what Tim said earlier about your professional career. What sort of analogies do you connect with what you did with, from the fire aspect to what we're talking about here in Moses chapter 8? Well, I think with fire protection, it's a matter of being able to design a structure that you're protecting different spaces and also providing a means where people can get out of the building in a fire emergency. But if you don't have the exits designed, the spacing, the staircases, we run the risk of a cataclysmic event. The same thing is true here. Our lives have to be designed, if it were, in mm -hmm. such a way that we're doing, generally speaking, it's small and simple things. This isn't a major effort to build that ark. I think that sometimes can be a little bit overwhelming. But if you pray in the morning, if you'll study the scriptures in the morning, if you'll attend the temple when you can, just do your best. One plank one, at a one, time. We build this structure that allow us to be protected against the gathering storm around us. That's a great analogy. I love that. I want to ask the audience um, in this idea of building uh, for protection. Stacy, please go ahead. Yeah, so I think it's the gospel. It's just doing those simple things, like you said. It's making sure that I'm trying to come into the Savior every day, that I'm trying to be like Him, that I'm trying to follow Him, and and try and see other people as He sees them. And it's a daily commitment. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for, yeah. for sharing that. I really appreciate that. 
Now, earlier in our discussion, uh, before we came out here, uh, Michelle, you had mentioned going to, I think it was Kentucky. Yes. And uh, tell us about that experience. There's this marvelous rendition of the Ark in northern Kentucky. It's called the Ark Encounter. And a group of people have designed this Ark to fit the exact dimensions that are here and the three levels as well. And so you can go inside and kind of get a sense or a feel of what it was like to live inside the Ark how hard that and difficult that must have been, and how did they prepare food? How did they care for others? And it reminded me so much of another shipbuilder, Nephi, another prophet, who, who was asked to build a ship. And he spoke of the women in First um, Nephi chapter 17. He talks about how, how well they had done in their journey across the wilderness and how the Lord had made them strong, like unto the men. And it gives me comfort to know that the Lord does that for us, whether it's in the Old Testament times or in the Book of Mormon times or in our own day, he makes us stronger. And in chapter 17, he says this wonderful scripture that I will strengthen them, I will nourish them, and I will make them able to do the thing that I have commanded them to do. And so I think that's true for our day, that he does make us strong and able. That's great insight. Thank you for sharing that. Now, uh, one thing that we've been talking about is the flood is coming upon Noah's people because of their wickedness. Now, is that always the case? Is it always because of something that is wrong, the choices that we're making? Or could it be, is there another aspect to that? Yeah, I think there's, there's different kinds of floods. And, and we even see this, I, I think a good example is to think about the, the ancient world. So yeah, you've got this cataclysmic flood mm -hmm. that, that comes upon Noah's people. But also, you know, these agricultural societies that build up along rivers, so think about like the Nile River or other places, they depended on floods every single year to, to, to come in and make the soil fertile so that that's where they would farm. Now, it stinks when the, when the, when the flood comes in and wipes out whatever you've built there, right? It's, it's no fun. It's just part of life. You didn't do anything wrong. Uh, that's just part of life. But then when, when the flood recedes, that's what makes the soil fertile. And, and, and that's where you can actually sort of new life comes out. So sometimes floods, it's, it's not necessarily because of our wickedness. It's not because God is, you know, sort of hitting the reset button. Sometimes it's just part of life. So when have you seen uh, a, a spiritual flood come in your life, but then when the waters receded, you were able to recognize the blessing that came from that. Our daughter, um, Lisa, she called us and let us know that she was going to have a, a baby, and his name was going to be Charlie. But um, he was thriving in the womb, but when he was born, he would not be able to live very long. And so I was so distraught about that. It was a huge flood in my life. It was, here I am, all these thousands of miles away, and she is there, and I can't help her. And that's where I think the scriptures can help us and following the prophet can help us because as I read that particular verse that I mentioned about, he will nourish you and strengthen you and make you able to do the thing that he has commanded you to do, which is serve a mission. I was brought comfort and, and I was at peace and I was able to face that trial. And I think that's what the Lord does with us in whatever circumstances we're in as we turn to him, as we rely on him and trust him, he will make us better. He will not leave us comfortless. He will bring us the peace that we need. So he's the boat. Yes, yes. I love that. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that. Lenka. Michelle, thank you for touching on that massive turbulence as I experienced about 12 years ago. I got a phone call from 
across Europe in Slovakia where I'm from, my brother calls and he says that my mom was hit by a car. She died immediately. And uh, that spiritual turbulence, I tell you, that's a flood that you will build the ark for ages because you will cross lots of anger, lots of um, unanswered questions. Why did this happen? I think the, the trust in God and just believing that there's got to be light at the end of that tunnel and reasoning why this reasoning, just what you all been saying, you stay with me on the boat. Mm-hmm. You don't go on, over there. You stay over here, right? And God is leading us. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was wonderful. You know, um, Patrick, we had talked about earlier this idea of building. Sometimes Noah had warning. Noah knew the flood was coming, and so he was prepared in building this ark. What are some of the challenges of waiting to build the ark or kind of being forced into it sometimes to build that ark after floods versus building in preparation of a flood that you maybe can see coming? So I think a big part of the story is that it's, it gives us lessons about spiritual preparation of, of getting ready for, for when the floods come. That's not always possible, but insofar as, as we can, we want to prepare for it. And there's a great quote from President Nelson that talks about how we can do this. And President Nelson says, my dear brothers and sisters, my call to you is to start today to increase your faith. Through your faith, Jesus Christ will increase your ability to move the mountains or deal with the floods in your life even though your personal challenges may loom as large as Mount Everest. Your mountains or or floods may be loneliness, doubt, illness, or other personal problems. Your mountains will vary, and yet the answer to each of your challenges is to increase your faith. So I think here's the the kind of recipe for success. You know, we we can't always predict when those floods are going to come, whatever it might be, whether it's as the result of sin or whether it's because of, you know, loss of a loved one or unemployment or sickness or all kinds of different things. But but the formula is the same to prepare for those things. You know, and and I I appreciate you saying that. And, And one other thing with, you know, specifically with the people of Noah's time, there was a lot of fighting. We had a really good um, question from one of our viewers, specifically about floods in, in regards to our relationships with other, with other people. And I wanna go to that and just kind of get some of your thoughts on that. Hello, I'm Natalia Markham. I'm 21 years old and I'm from Orlando, Florida. So the question I had today was, what does the Old Testament teach us about managing relationships, both familial and dating relationships during these turbulent times? It's an interesting question. I think the principles behind it are this. Spend 90% of your time fixing you. And we, too many times we spend 60% of our time confessing the sins of our spouse, of family mm. members, and we don't have any ability to control that. So if we can shift the focus, we work on us, then we have a greater capacity. God enables us. He gives us greater measure of power that we can change the universe in a way, in our own way our own love, our own kindness, our own example. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. Michelle, I want to get your take on this idea. In the Old Testament, we hear a lot of people that struggle, and there is a, there's a message of relying upon the Holy Ghost for guidance. Tell us, how did the Holy Ghost work within you to help those that you worked with to increase their faith, as President Nelson encourages us to do? Talking about floods, I feel like 
our world today is flooded with anxiety and mm -hmm. fear. We're worried about pandemics. We're worried about, you know, unrest and, and there is contention. And when there's anxiety and fear, it's opposite of faith. And so the answer is to build our faith in Jesus Christ. The prophet Jacob talks so much about that. And one day I read this verse that I thought for sure was just for me. And it was the last, it was the last verse in Jacob chapter four. And he says this amazing thing. He was worried about his people. Like I'm sure Noah was worried about the people who wouldn't get in the boat or who wouldn't believe what he was warning. And Jacob wants to teach him about the atonement of Jesus Christ. But he says to them, I will unfold this mystery or this, this, the atonement of Jesus Christ to you. If I do not by any means get shaken in my faith and stumble because of my over anxiety for you. We can't teach the gospel of Jesus Christ or the atonement if we're full of fear and we have no faith. So preparing for our spiritual floods means preparing to build our faith, following the prophet, doing what he is required, even if it's hard counsel. Now, sometimes there may be this tendency to discount other methods the Lord has sent for help in situations like that. You know, maybe we think, well, all I have to do is read the scriptures and say my prayers. What other methods do you think exist out there in addition to the traditional gospel methods that we can turn to for help when these floods come? Well, I, I think, you know, if, if, if your floods uh, consist of, of mental health challenges, for instance, uh, the, the Lord has blessed us with, with expertise. So many people, counselors and therapists and psychologists and others who, who can help, help counsel you in addition to the spiritual resources. And I think sometimes they're, they're, you can use the spirit in your selection of Absolutely. a therapist or whatever other help you need. They can always be woven through that guidance to receive the help we need. And I, I'd love to throw it to the audience and kind of get your, your take or comment on some of the, what, what do you do to increase your faith to help you kind of build your ark to withstand these spiritual floods? Janie Ray. Yes, I was thinking about when I had, when I was a young mother of seven children and how inadequate I felt. And I realized that the best asset for me to increase my faith was to find ways to increase my children's faith. So I would look for ways to um, do those basics like prayer and scripture reading and family home evening. With my children, I started to gain strength from them, which was kind of amazing. And so this young lady that wanted to know what to do and how we can use the Old Testament, the importance of families is the, is the key. And as a mother, I thought, what do I need to do to strengthen my own children? And so the, the gospel and um, faith and the Holy Ghost were huge. I mean, to have those companionships was amazing. Thank you so much. I, this has been a great topic. You know, as we've been discussing the safety that exists, the safety that we can um, receive from spiritual floods. So thank you so much. And um, we'll move on to the next topic. So the times where I don't ask God for help, you know, is the times where I feel so low, so dark, so alone, so, you know, just depressed. And I feel like if I would have asked him for help sooner and recognized that I needed the help, I wouldn't have been as low or I would have been able to accomplish what I needed to accomplish. 
Uh, some of the worst mistakes I've ever made in my life was because I was stubborn and did not rely on the Lord and turn to Him. Uh, I, in fact, I ignored His voice. And that is the worst thing you can ever do. And that's where my greatest sorrow in life has come from, is refusing to listen to his voice and humble myself before him. The second topic today is the only way to reach heaven is by following Jesus Christ. Will you please tell us why in the world would somebody try to build a tower? To <laughs> give us a little background on what we're going to talk about today. So now Noah is, is, has come and, and the, the floods have receded and, and the, the, the earth has sort of been peopled again. <laughs> and, uh, but still, we, so we're in Genesis 11. It says the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Remember, so they all came from one family, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so it's all just kind of one big family. But they, they build this city and, and they say, uh, if, let's, let's look at verse four. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So they want to build this tower to get to heaven. And I think the key phrase here is, let us make us a name. This was about, we want to be famous, we want to be big, we, we, we want to get to heaven and make it ours, right? So it's very much a focus on their self, and it's, it's driven, I think, by pride. So it's interesting that uh, at this time, they are trying to make themselves a name, whereas we have been instructed um, to take upon ourselves a name. And I would love to get your take on that idea of making a name for ourselves versus taking upon ourselves a more specific name. So that's true. The pe these people were misguided. They maybe had the right thought in mind that they were reaching for heaven, but they were doing it selfishly and for the, their own name and for their pride. Whereas today, um, we see all of these young people and, and couples, older people like us, who are willing to just really truly, as we commit in the sacrament, to take His name upon us. And we literally put His name on our chest, which is such a wonderful thing to do. Serving as mission presidents, um, what is that feeling like to put that name on yourselves? And then when you're released, how do you keep that name with you without wearing a tag? That's a really good question. I think it is difficult to take it off. I think there always are tears because you have lived for 18 months or two years or three years every day striving just to live as the Savior would live. And then there's a fear that we're going to fall back into Babylon. We're going to go back and be part of taking our own name upon ourselves, And so... I, I watch missionaries, we watch missionaries, and we still do yeah. today, as they proudly wear that name. And, and they really, I, I really feel like they recognize and understand that they are to live as the Savior lives and be the message. And of course they fail. We all fail every day. But the wonderful thing is we can repent every day because of His name, because of His atonement. Thank you so much for sharing that. Tim, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. This kind of same question about taking that name upon us. Yeah, I think to your earlier point about building a name, I think as, as Patrick has beautifully taught us about the tugs and pulls of the pride of the world that are encouraging us, seducing us maybe, uh, to make a name for ourselves. It becomes about us. It's in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, you may remember 
the Lord is, is speaking and he says, the Lord seeth not as man seeth. Mm -hmm. For the man looketh upon the outward appearance, the Lord looketh upon the heart. And I think that's the distinction, I think, with this great story of the Tower of Babel, that we're looking on the outward appearance. We're building something that's magnificent, that somehow it's gonna satisfy our own pride. So what do you think is, they're building it for a reason. Why, why do we sometimes, we, we do these things, we're trying to fill some sort of void, and what is happening with the, the people of this time that is causing them to wanna search and seek something else? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and there's such a fine line because there's nothing wrong with wanting to build something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, as, as human beings, we are creative beings. It's, it's amazing, these gifts that we have to be able to build. And, and for people to come, as you said, this is magnificent, right? To build a yeah. tower, that the technology, sure. the, the, the effort, the community to do this. So, so the, the question is not so much, are we using our creativity, our talents, all these gifts that we have, but to what end? Right? Okay. What is the purpose? What is the focus? What, what centers it or what is the, the foundation of it? Uh, again, for, for these people, it was, it was focused on them and, and building a name for themselves rather than relying upon God. Uh, but you can't, you, you can't, you kind of take shortcuts to heaven, you know, and you, you can't get there by building, by building a tower. It's about becoming something, not just climbing a staircase. Okay. Could we say that sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reason? And what are some of the challenges that that can present? I, I think that's, obviously that was the issue during the meridian of time with the Savior. We have this sort of dichotomy with really, really religious people who just weren't righteous. Mm. They as we learn in Jacob, that they despised the words of plainness. They sought for things which they could not understand, and they looked beyond the mark. Mm. They crucify the Son of God because they get lost. Yet they're doing all the perfunctory things, and we can do the same thing. If we don't have the whisperings, the direction, the guidance of the Spirit in our lives, we can get lost in a hurry. Even if maybe initially the intent was good right. in building that foundation of the tower, but when we lose the direction, the counsel of the Spirit, then we're lost. We end up doing this, and we, this, the same thing happened to the Zormites with the Ramiumton. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. They Artificial means to reaching or drawing yeah. near to our Heavenly Father and the Savior. Marcus. I think what I'm learning from, from this discussion is that it's our pride that can cause us to even misinterpret revelation given to God's prophets to ourselves, to the people around us. And, and in this case, we've talked about these folks uh, wanting to make a name for themselves and it caused them to do something that the Lord, that was not the Lord's will. And, mm -hmm. and even, even though it, it was uh, to achieve the Lord's goal. And I'm just reevaluating choices maybe that I've made. And, and I think as I come, not trying to fit the, the words of God or the words of his servants and prophets into what I'm hoping, but rather come ready to receive and act on the will of the Lord, I think that leaves little chance for misinterpreting um, uh, his will and, and would likely lead to me understanding it and then acting on it and seeing 
all the fruits and the positive results from that. That's a beautiful thought. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that reminds me of something that we were talking about earlier about it. Sometimes it may take some time. Michelle, you were saying something about the, the patience uh, aspect of it. Would, would you mind sharing with us? Sure. I, I just think building a life or, or striving to reach heaven like we all are, it takes uh, a knowledge that there is opposition in all things, that it won't be easy. Uh, that we need to be patient in our afflictions. And I love the counsel that the prophet Joseph Smith gave to the saints. He said, cheerfully do all things that lie in your power and then stand still and see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. I think the Lord loves us. He wants us to return to him. He's given us a wonderful plan in a way but we have to be patient. We have to be guided by personal revelation. And I, I love what Sister Julie B. Beck said, that personal revelation can come hour by hour and moment by moment as we do the right things. But we have to be patient. We have to wait. What I love is that, you know, so these people want to get to heaven. God wants us to get to heaven too, mm -hmm. right? So, so, you know, aren't we talking about the same thing? Um, <laughs> But it is, it's, it's, it's about how you do it. It's, right. it's about patience. You know, they had to build brick by brick. We have to build brick by brick, you know, but it's a different way and in, in, in a different focus in, in the Lord's way. Let's, let's look at that for a second. What are the ways that they're doing it versus the ways that we should do it? And what sort of resources do we have to help us build the right way? Well, I think, you know, this is a very short story. Right. <laughs> we only have a few verses. So we don't know all that much about these people, except we know that the Lord isn't pleased with mm -hmm. the way that they, they want to go about doing it. But we know how the Lord wants us to build okay. our, our, our lives, right? And it, it's, it's day by day. You've talked about the small and simple things yeah. that, that are part of just a right. daily religious life. Uh, and it's, it's patience. It's humility. It's love, it's forgiveness, it's things Hold that on. are not glamorous. That sounds really familiar. Who are we describing? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, we're talking about the Savior, right? right? So if we want to go back to, to, to heaven, we have to become like the Savior. We have to do it in His way. We have to rely on Him and His virtues and His mercies. You know, and that is, I think it's a great way to, as we wrap up this discussion on this topic, that truly the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ, focusing on his life, his ministry, his characteristics, and trying to implement those things into ourselves, rather than just going through and checking off boxes. Well, I did this, I did this, but to really make it about taking his name upon us and becoming more than we think we can become on our own, but truly becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for your comments and thank you so much for your insights on the second topic, which is the only way to reach heaven is by following Jesus Christ. What the Holy Ghost taught me today was to stop judging people by my human nature reactions and how I think towards them and to think of them like my brothers and sisters and think of them how God would want me to think of them. I really felt the Spirit telling me that instead of focusing on what the people in my life are doing, I need to focus on how I can treat them more kindly and see them through Christ's eyes. Instead of focusing on what they can do better, focus on what I can do better and how I can be active and instead of reactive towards them. I'm just really thankful that what we discussed today, the Holy Spirit was working through several channels here in my heart and they were answered and they were resolved. 
and I'm in peace. I'm at peace and I can move on. Welcome to Footnotes, the portion of the show where we get to just talk about in greater detail some of the things that came up in our study of Moses chapter 8 and Genesis chapter 6 through 11. Now, anything stood out from our previous conversation that we kind of want to pick up on? We didn't ever talk about those giants in Moses chapter 8. Yeah, Genesis, the opening verses of Genesis 6. And then in Moses, it mentions it again as well, Moses 8, I think it's verse 18. Mm-hmm. And in those days, there were giants on the earth, and they sought Noah to take away his life. Right. Yeah. What does that teach you as far as making some sort of application to nowadays? They were giants that were going to kill Noah. So I just, I think there's so much around us today, and it, it attacks. I think it's more serious than what, is, what it was at the time of Noah. I think there's so many ways that we all can receive information that, we can lose our soul as a consequence. There's this sort of proliferation of information that's available. And it feels like at times, I know with our 653 missionaries in three years, it felt to me like they were being stalked constantly by things that would sort of take them away spiritually. And it had to do with things they would think about or things that had happened in the past where they had access to these stalking giants that were around them. And so finding ways to help missionaries to be able to confront that so they could have a greater measure of self-discipline and fill the spirit. The adversary knows Mm -hmm. he's powerful and he is stalking us, I think, spiritually. So as as you worked with this, these 653? 653. I love how easily you just rattle that off. Really? Really. I mean, I'm sure it's by... They're hours. Yes, I I love that. I think everybody who has this experience feels the same way. You know, and I imagine with Noah, the same, like, he feels that strength. Yeah. He feels that strength that the Lord is on his side. So as you're, right. as you're dealing with these, these missionaries, can you think of a specific example in which one of your missionaries felt that the Lord was with them as they faced a, a spiritual giant? So I think the most difficult things that we saw missionaries go through were when they lost a member of their family to death. That was excruciating for us to even bear that news to them. And, um, and we had four. We had four that either lost a sibling or who lost a parent, three who lost parents. I mean, it's remarkable to think about that. And I thought for sure they'll go home and not come back. But... No, they, they, they stayed. They stayed and they faced the trial. They had support and love from home. And one sister went home, uh, went to her father's funeral, came back just a few days, few days later wearing his jacket and never took it off again And during her mission. And it was sweet to watch uh, the Lord support them in their trials, just like he promises that he will. He does keep his promises. And as missionaries developed deep faith in Jesus Christ, they were supported in their trials, and they, they did well. And it was, that was an exciting thing to watch. That's beautiful. Thank you. Can, can, can I ask, I mean, we were talking beforehand about, uh, you know, speaking of spiritual giants, we know that uh, you were talking about how so, so many of your missionaries dealt with issues of anxiety or possible emotional or, or mental illness or other things like that. And, and uh, so how, how did, you know, how do you handle that as mission presidents, but also how is, 
you know, the, the church has changed some of, some of the ways that, that they've handled that, you know, or allowed missionaries to, to deal with these things. A couple of things that come to mind are, number one, there's this wonderful resource called Adjusting to Missionary Life. It has saved many a missionary because it's all about how to cope and deal with stress of all kinds in physical, social, emotional, mental, different kinds of things. And missionaries have access to the hard copy and also online, and it's accessible to anybody in the church. And it's a guidebook for not just life in the mission field, but life, your, your whole entire life is excellent. So that's a great resource that's been provided in the past few years. We have resources of counseling. We have resources of doctors, good doctors in our area that could help with medication if needed. So, so it was wonderful. But I'll tell you the number one thing yeah. that changed our lives in February of 2000. February 15th, yes. We were at a mission leadership you council. I do yes. remember the day. <laughs> we got an email, didn't we? Is uh, it, wasn't we did. it coming email it form? Did. And tell them what it said. It was just an announcement from the First Presidency that beginning that day, missionaries would now be able to call home every week. They could do video calls. And they could also, in addition to that, call on special occasions like birthdays or holidays and things like that. During the last period of time that we were in the mission field, we didn't have any of them return home. There was something so medicinal, so cathartic emotionally for these young missionaries, both elders and sisters. One call to mom, it's amazing. Wow. It's, it's really, it was transformative in our mission and I'm sure throughout the church. And it was so sweet and so wonderful. And I think it's um, a reminder that we need to call home. We need to call home daily and check in and uh, that the Lord will bless us and we'll be sustained. And it, it's a, it was a wonderful thing. And that's a great reminder. Faded. What a great reminder for all of us yeah. to have that, that lifeline, you know, that communication to keep us on that path so that when these giants come Tsunamis, in. Tsunamis, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for, yeah. for sharing that. We live, we have such a progressive church, I think. Um, of course, because it's led by the Savior, Jesus Christ. But I have loved every single change that's happened. It's been wonderful. And we've seen immediate blessings from some of yeah. them. And then I think we'll see gradual blessings from some of the others. But anyway. And it takes a lot of faith sometimes, because I don't know if everybody initially does. You know, sometimes it may take a little bit of patience, but trust in the Lord and everything. He he sees so much more than we do. And we were talking about that earlier, this, mm -hmm. this yeah. idea of His vision and what he can see and what's going on, the plan that he has prepared for all of us. The doctrine behind that is in 2 Nephi chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord's speaking and he says, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. I think it's a great reminder for us just to consider that, that they are, he, he's not surprised about pandemics. Mm -hmm. He knows all things from the beginning. I think sometimes when we don't understand, we need to have the humility not to have to have the answer why, but trust him. Let's turn to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John. If we start in verse 53, he introduces this doctrine. He says, I am the living bread which cometh down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give him is my flesh. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, ye have no life in you. So now what we have, here's the, this throng of people. The Savior knows that they're grumbling, mumbling a little bit. And he says to them, doth this offend thee? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. 
So now, this is the moment as he turns to Peter. And he says, will ye also go away? Peter, it's interesting to me when you listen to Peter's response, because I think there's a part of this that Peter's saying, he's, the answer is, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and art sure that thou art the Christ. But what I, I think you're implied in that statement is, can I just tell you honestly, I don't like it either. <laughs> I mean, really, this idea about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, I'm not liking that, not really very much. But that's where you and I have to get at some point in time, whether it's issues about a hundred different things that we can substitute for this that we don't understand. Ultimately, it's our testimony centered deep in the reality of Jesus Christ and his work. That's where Peter was. He was unshakable there. Mm -hmm. When you and I can get to that place through experiences like this that we're having with Come Follow Me, that we feel the spirit driven deep into our hearts, then we can be inoculated from those experiences that we don't understand. It'll, it will, we'll learn later, probably, but not now, not right now, as Peter didn't. He's going to teach it, but it's still going to be a ways off before he even explains it. That's a, that's a great lesson. It, it reminds me of what we're, what we're talking about with when you try to substitute that just as the building of this tower to try to get to yeah, heaven. Right. They were looking for a substitute to feel that void, not really knowing where to turn. Yeah, for me, this is so good. And, and I think about these chapters that um, part of the, the hope, the trust, the faith that we can have in God comes from the scriptures when we, because part of the, the gift of the scriptures is we see how things have happened in the past, yeah. right? Sometimes it's hard in our yeah. present right. day. And, and so one of the, one of the, part of the gift of the, of the scriptures is to, to show how things have worked out. And so with, with these, these very chapters that we're reading, the flood and then, and then Babel, I mean, th th this is hard stuff in, in the sense that, that God destroys yep. all these people, right? Except for the family of Noah that he scatters the language, he confounds the, the language of the people. I mean, a lot of people have actually lost their faith in God over these kinds of, you know, how can a God do mm -hmm. the, these types of things? But, but the record of the scriptures, the story doesn't stop there. <laughs> the, the, the story doesn't stop in chapter eight or chapter nine or chapter 11, that the, there's a bigger story here. And what's the bigger story? Well, first of all, that, uh, that we have new creation, Right? I mean, God, God starts over. He sends the dove. He sends the olive leaf. There, there's a kind of new creation there. Uh, but even you could say, well, that's very nice for Noah's family. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what about for everybody else? Yeah, right? Really. Well, for everybody else, God's playing the long game too. Mm -hmm. And we know this from 1 Peter, but especially from the revelation of Joseph F. Smith in 1918 that we have as Doctrine and Covenants 138, that it specifically says that when Jesus went to the spirit world, right? after his crucifixion, that he organized missionaries to go preach the gospel to the people who died at the time of Noah, right? That God redeemed those people. God loves those yeah. people too, right? And, and he sent his son, he sent those missionaries to preach to them. In the Tower of Babel, all these people, they, they, their languages have been confounded, right? And, and, and we see the fractures that, that introduces into the human family. Well, what happens? after Jesus' resurrection, when the apostles are gathered together and they're mm -hmm. preaching on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. comes and all of those languages are present, but they all understand one another. Through the Holy Spirit, that heals 
the brokenness, the fracture that happened at the time of Babel. So, I mean, it took thousands of years, right? But in, but in God's time, that's, that's a snap of a finger. God always has a plan to redeem and reach after his children. Thank you, Patrick. That's great. That's material. so true. Thank and you. the great part, I think, is that as a, as a people living on the earth today, as members of the church, we get to participate yeah. in that gathering. We get to be a part of that. What a privilege and what a responsibility, too. President Nelson said it's the greatest work on the earth today, and it has been a privilege for us to be a part of it, hasn't it? Really it really has. Well, and and sure. President Kimball talked about that in, in the church today, we, we gather people to get together, and where do we want them to go? We want them to end up in the temple. Yeah. And President Kimball talked about how the temples are a place that, again, heals the wounds from Babel, because what happens in temples yeah. is you have people from all these different nations, languages, who are there worshiping together, you know, with headsets or whatever. Right. I mean, in a single session, you can have multiple languages coming together in one place mm. to worship and make covenants. So Heal. the temple heals that wound. Heal too. the wounds, wounds of Babel. That's a great statement, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. So tell me about, like, I love this. Anytime you can bring up the temple, I, I just, I love it. Can you give me just from, from your own experience, how have you felt that as you have attended the temple throughout your life, that bond that connects us all together and to our Heavenly Father and to the Savior Jesus Christ? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, it's, it's a little bit trite. We say this a lot, but, but in the sense that, that in the temple, that all of the kinds of distinctions that, that normally divide us all melt away, right? I mean, we're, we're still our own individual people, right? right? I come with my concerns. I come with my questions. God's going to give me personal revelation, but we're all dressed the same. Uh, we're, we're all making the same covenants, right? And being reminded of those same covenants. We're doing work uh, for, for those who have passed on, maybe my ancestors, maybe somebody else's ancestors. I mean, this is a, this is a place where we come together. It's, it's, it's an approximation of Zion, right? It's, it's, it's to help us think about how do we uh, not paper over, but, but heal the, the divisions in, in, the, in the human family. And we come together and how do we do that? We do that through our focus on Jesus Christ, through the covenants we make uh, and the love that we have for one another. I love that, thank you. Before we leave this topic about the temples, can I just mention one thing that Please. I remember as a, I had probably been serving as a state president for maybe four or five months and I was in the temple and going through the veil and I had this distinct impression come to me about the name of a member. And, and it was, I had this impression that I need to, to be able to communicate God's love to him. And the embarrassing thing to me is I, I had heard the name, but I didn't even know he was a member of the stake. <laughs> Seriously, I, was, I didn't know that he was. So I, I called a bishop in the area that I thought he lived and said, Bishop, do you know so-and-so? And he says, yes, he lives in our ward. Uh, he has been away from the church for a long time. He's in failing health. And I said, would you arrange the time for me to come and we'll visit him? So a couple of days later, we went. And I, and I spoke to this good man who had made some mistakes earlier in his life, had been somewhat estranged from his family, but he had been estranged from God. Mm. And I think he felt that there were sins that you could be forgiven of, but maybe he had went a bridge too far. Right. Never felt like he could be forgiven and come back. And so I said to him, brother, I'm here with a message tonight. I, had, I was in the temple, and I had this distinct impression that I needed to let you know that God loves you. And it was interesting, and he asked me to give him a blessing, and I did. And it was just this remarkable experience to see this, 
this man who had been suffering under the bondage of sin for a long time that actually felt that God knew who he was. And he died two weeks later. It was just such a sweet, sweet thing that I, did, I wasn't even sure who he was. Wow. But that experience together with the, the family, with him, it was humbling for me to recognize that it is God's work. Mm -hmm. And he, he knows his children. What I experienced that evening with a man who was broken, I mean, literally, spiritually, emotionally broken, and that somehow that God had the power to change him through just a few words that I would say. How, how could you feel? I mean, I don't know how you could experience anything that would be a greater measure of joy and for me to feel the loving approbation of a Heavenly Father who knew me as well, too, yeah. and that he could speak to me. What did that do for you? And, and your yeah, thought process? It's an, it's an interesting question because I think I was still young enough in that assignment that it wasn't something I was looking for and that even if he has to get a message to me with someone that I don't know, maybe should have known, uh, at least have known that he was in our stake, it's an overwhelming feeling to me. And I think it helped me recognize in my ministry for the next nine years that I need to be hypervigilant. I needed to seek a sense that I was repenting, like we were talking about with our missionaries, that I was repenting every day so that I could feel like in a moment's notice that if he needed me somewhere that I, I would be available if it, if it were those sort of experience. So it's a pretty humbling thing to feel that way, truthfully. Thank you so much for sharing that. Sister Welch, do you think that experience helped him as a mission president? Oh, definitely. And it's humbling because the Lord loves his missionaries so much. And he loves his children. Like he said that I think it happened over and over to us in the mission field, especially, at least with me, that, you know, um, we give talks every Sunday at somebody's ward or somebody's branch or some state conference. And my husband kept trying to teach me to just trust the spirit to tell you what to say. But no, I had my all typed up <laughs> notes and I was ready to, to give what I prepared. And a handful of times I did just listen and felt impressed. And I'll never forget one time when um, a woman came up to me afterwards and she said, I almost didn't come, but I, I was so broken. I just sat in the Relief Society room and listened to the, through the speakers. But what you said is exactly, those scriptures you used was exactly what I needed to hear. That, those are humbling experiences. And I've watched that happen with him over and over. And, and it's, it is a sweet and um, humbling experience that the Lord uses um, imperfect people to do his work and that we can repent every day and be clean. And as we strive to help others come unto Christ, that we can ourselves access that power of the atonement in our own lives as we try to bless his children in whatever aspect of our life we're working on. I thank That's you for amazing. sharing that. I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, the story over and over and over in the Old Testament is these are people who are like messed up. Like the, these yeah, are people with right. real problems. <laughs> you know, it's actually one of the reasons why I think we should dive into the Old Testament even more because these are very relatable people. God calls them not because they're great, but the opposite, and he's going to redeem them and he's going to reach after. And, and this is in these chapters, in chapter nine, we get the first covenant that God makes with humanity. It's after the, the flood, 
after knowing his family come out and and it's it's a new creation there's a lot of language here that, that yeah. parallels what's yeah. going on in the garden of eden so this is like god starting over again and says i'm going to make a covenant with you and he says your part of the covenant is like stop killing each other <laughs> right <laughs> that, that's what got you in trouble in the first place can you can you stop doing that and i'm going to promise to you i'm going to send that the, the rainbow is the token of the covenant right i promise you that that, that i will not do this again, right? That, that, that I'm going to be patient. And, and now if we held up our end of the covenant, not by a long shot, yeah. okay. right? Over and over and over. In the Old Testament, in our day to day, we continue to do horrible things to one another. Has God broken his covenant? No. Yeah. So God is a covenant keeper. Yeah. And, and God will not break his, his steadfast love for each one of us. That's why I love the Old Testament, yeah. right? The, 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 these are people that God will not let go of. Mm. And, and we're reminded of the, the help and the assistance that he has sent to us so that we can withstand the floods, the yeah. giants, all the wickedness that is around us. And we were talking about this earlier, you had brought up the quote from President Nelson, yeah. where he says, in the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. He hasn't left us yeah. alone in this. He has sent the Holy Ghost to pull us along. Thank you for just inviting such a great spirit and for strengthening my testimony. Absolutely. It's, been, it's beautiful. Uh, thank you for your wealth of knowledge and thank the you. spirit that you've brought. We're honored to be here with you too. It's been a joy for it us. It has been a joy. And Patrick, as always, you're great. Thank you so much for what <laughs> you've added. Thank you. And for those uh, that are watching at home, uh, again, the invitation, if you have felt something, uh, if the spirit has moved you to act, we invite you to take the courage, to take the initiative and to make the changes necessary uh, in your life that will help us all as we find our way on that pathway back to our Heavenly Father. Thank you for joining us. Please come back next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 